electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people, my friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. And then there were none. I am talking about the endless slaughter of the great growth stocks of this era, something that dragged down the averages, Dow slipping 97 points, S&P declining 0.53%, but the NASDAQ, yes, where the great growth stocks live, double 1.56%. This is an unkind market. Today, it chose to once again lay to waste the stocks that sell at a very high price to sales multiples. And we got to go over the genesis of this move because it's very stark and it's causing many people huge losses. And... For many people who want to own these supercharged growth stocks at super high prices, this could be your denouement. I don't want that to happen. First, let me back up and use this twilight of the high-flying idols moment to explain the way big money thinks versus the way that small money thinks, because they are two very different animals. While this market has strong sectors, sectors like oil, which will be going over at length closely at tomorrow's 1230 investing club meeting, or healthcare or transports, it also has another quarter. Cohort, And it's the now-hated, formerly-loved, supercharged go-go stocks that trade on the price-to-sales multiples because the earnings are either non-existent or negligible. Oh, that last cohort is under siege right now like I haven't seen it in years. You might wonder, with so many stocks that are cheap after the blasting this market has endured, who would still hold out and stay with these beaten-down, unprofitable names? The answer, either money managers that are under no pressure to perform anytime soon so they can afford to make long-term bets like Kathy Wood and her ARC funds, or uninformed individual investors who got into these stocks during the pandemic initially made big money, big money, and are now hanging on by their fingernails. I don't think they'll be able to hold on much longer because they don't know what they own. And eventually, when you don't know what you own, sadly, you get blown out. And your ultimate goal must always be the same. Stay in the game. We can't all be Kathy Wood with endless money to lose at will and not have to pay for it. Ironically, the approximate cause of today's growth stock beatdown was a pair of companies that we spoke to last night on Mad Money, Octon Snowflake 
After they reported numbers that were widely panned, even as in another time when inflation wasn't raging, they would have been respected, perhaps even loved. Now, these two stocks have been plummeting, in fairness, uh, ever since they peaked in November. Right here. Look at that. You can see. They peaked in November, along with the entire high-growth universe. I can put up any number of stocks that are going to look just like this. That alone should tell you something, right? As Okta is a cybersecurity play and Snowflake is a novel data analytics play with a tremendous growth rate. But you can't escape from your broad rubric of a sector. And the turbocharged growth stocks all became a lot less attractive when the Fed started talking about raising interest rates right here. That was it. Right there. Many of these companies have done nothing wrong. They are, frankly, just collateral damage from the Fed's newfound fight against inflation. Seasoned investors immediately dumped the growth stocks because if you've got experience managing money, you know that growth stocks always get killed when inflation's roaring as it erodes the value of their future earnings. You may think these companies are the greatest things to slice bread, but the pros know not to pay as much for unprofitable sliced bread when there's an inflation spiral. So you can see that's them fleeing. OK, that's just them getting out of these stocks after a real good run. Now, there's another group of investors, though, who aren't that knowledgeable about what happens at this point in the cycle. Yes, that's the business cycle, either because they're too young or maybe because they don't care. These are people who love the momentum of the stocks. They love this. OK. Even if they didn't really understand what the underlying companies actually did. They just had faith that their stocks will bounce back at some point in the future. Others have done more homework and, and like the momentum of the business. They think it can transcend the current moment. They don't see what inflation has to do with any of this. And there's still one other group we haven't mentioned lately, the people who love to buy hot stocks on dips because, well, buying hot stocks on dips was a fabulous way to make money for ages in the great bull market. Now, over the last few months, these owners, I hesitate to call them investors, they're not, hung on because the actual fundamentals of the great growth companies had actually been unchanged. When those companies reported, they typically beat the sales estimates, delivering some humongous revenue growth and ever smaller earnings losses. And that happened right through this period. You don't want to look at those reports. You'll never spot this if you just look at the reports. You would never know that this was going to occur. Each time the analyst acolytes would dutifully raise their estimates and their price targets, even when it was clear because of inflation that the old price target boosts were producing ever smaller gains in stocks, and in some cases, no gains at all. Now, along the way, the dip buyers who traded out when, when stocks jumped started losing big money. They were maybe doing it in call options. Maybe they were buying stocks with borrowed money margin. Their ranks have grown ever thinner as the losses mounted. And they came to realize that they weren't buying a dip. They were buying the vertebral Grand Canyon that drops. Maybe, no, they were buying a fall from the north face of Everest. The other two groups, those who love the cadence of beat and raise, beat and raise, beat and raise, and those who love the momentum of either the stocks or the underlying business, they've been hanging on for dear life. As inflation continued to erode the faith in growth stocks, especially unprofitable growth stocks with high price to earnings. I'm sorry, high price to sales multiples because there are no earnings. Then yesterday came. Yesterday was the Waterloo, my friends. True Waterloo watershed. First, Jay Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve, recognized that inflation is accelerating. Said he, he would start trying to contain it by raising interest rates, maybe a 25 percent, uh, 25 basis point. Hey, maybe more. Then Okta and Snowflake reported after the close. Okta, which does identity and access management, a kind of really good cybersecurity, reported better than expected revenues and a smaller than expected loss for the fourth quarter. <laughs> Bingo, right? No issues. Then the company also issued forward guidance that included, again, better than expected sales, but this time much bigger than expected losses. 
Now, that might have been overlooked in the pre-inflation era, but it was unforgivable in this new world. The stock cascaded immediately. And believe me, it is not done cascading. Snowflake reported amazing sales, smaller losses. So far, so good. But then forecasted a slowdown in its growth rate. Unacceptable. Slowdown in the growth rate. Ouch. That's a nightmare for those who live by the rules of momentum, especially in an inflationary environment. Now, given that there are so many momentum camp followers and so many ETFs centered on the businesses that, that are covered by this, right? Uh, these two names did literally bring down the proverbial houses of both groups. Both of them got crushed by these two stocks. Next thing you know, you've got the analysts shockingly cutting price targets galore. And there's a tsunami of selling. Even as I think that Snowflake will be able to come out of this just fine because CEO Frank Slootman, I believe, was merely being conservative in his forecast. But why didn't that matter? Well, remember what I said. Many people, own, many people who own Snowflake only owned it because of the chart. They were willing to pay 100 times sales for it at one point. Many of these people didn't even know what Snowflake did. I mean, maybe they thought it was like a meteorological thing. So what happens now? The momentum is gone. The charts are broken. The dip is a World War I trench. And the thrill is gone. I think that many of these stocks, well, many of the people who are, I think, I think many of the stocks are done. I didn't want to say that, but I do. They've, and the people who own them, they've lost too much money. A lot of them are doing what I was afraid of back in November. They're going back into CDs, money market funds trying to hide in cryptocurrencies. At least it was more fun when they were losing money in Dogecoin. Others are licking their wounds and waiting for better times that may now come, may not. So others, like Kathy Wood, simply don't care because they're so dogmatic. Now, you know I believe there's always a bull market somewhere. And we have one now in natural resources. With another one maybe coming in the staples and the health cares as the feds hit the brake, and maybe they hit the brakes too hard. But high-growth tech? I'm always going to have some, but wow, it's tough sledding. The bottom line is that the era of beat and raise and buy no matter what, what is over, well, let's just say it's done. It's over for the formerly high-flying growth stocks. There's still plenty of other stocks out there. But if you're still betting on these bouncing back, well, let's just say, why don't you pull in your horns? Because I don't think it's going to work. Let's go to Lucy in California. Lucy. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am doing fine, Lucy. How about you? Great. Thank you. I wanted your opinion, please, on Twitter stock. Lately, it's been declining, and I just wanted to know if I should uh, hold my present con- uh, position or sell while I have some gains. No, look, it, it, it's a legitimate question because the stock is down to 33. By the way, that was, that's about where, where a few years ago people thought it might get taken over. But the fact is it's still a very high price to earnings multiple stock, and we're not recommending those stocks because they are they don't do well enough in an era of high inflation. Let's go to Renee in New York. Renee. Renee? You're up, Renee. Booyah. Booyah, Renee. What's going on? I love your show. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have a question. Uh-huh. Uh, I have some uh, KMI, the old Enron. Right. And they have... Uh, Pipelines from Canada and Washington State. Right. All the way down to Tennessee. Uh Uh-huh. 
Do you think that it's good to buy more? Oh, no, it's really, a lot of it's in Texas. Remember, they, they were not really the old Enron, which really went under it. They're a great pipeline company. It's finally coming back. It yields 5.8. It's got the money to be able to back that. That's the kind of stock I am liking in this market. I know it's unexciting, but it is a good place to be. It's certainly right at this particular moment. Okay, look, I mean, it's hard for me to talk about these stocks. As you know, I like them so much, but... You know, it's a new reality out there for the high-flying growth stocks. The year of beaten raise and buy, no matter what, it's over. It's time for you to come to terms with that. You can own some of these stocks. You just can't own all of them. Otherwise, your time in the stock market is going to be up, and I need you to stay in the game. Well, maybe many tonight. Verizon laid out a plan to expand its investors day earlier. I'm learning more about the company's mission with the CEO, and that's got a nice yield. Then in this market, it's time to take a little more conservative approach, as I just said. So I'll give you a safety stock that works. And here's one that's hard. Block. Formerly known as Square. It fell today. It's got great growth. Let's make some sense of it with the company's CFO. Stay with me. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Three. 
For years, Verizon's been derided as a bond market equivalent stock, something safe and boring that pays you a bountiful 4.7% yield. It doesn't give you much in the way of upside. The company's working hard to change that impression, but the funny thing is that they really don't need to. In an uncertain market where a sense of rate hikes, I mean, going to be, look, we have a series of rate hikes coming, right? They're right around the corner. Wall Street's ready to fall in love with the bond market equivalents. Verizon wants to be more than that, though. Today, the company held a very important investor event where they rolled out some encouraging guidance and also announced several new ventures that could represent growth opportunities, like a strategic partnership with Facebook, now Meta, that we got to find out a lot more about. It seems to work. The stock rallied about a percent today in a very bad market. So don't take it from me. Let's check in with Hans Vesper. He's the chairman and CEO of Verizon. To get a better sense of where his company's headed, Mr. Vesper, welcome back to Man Money. Hey, Jim, how are you doing? Great to be on the show. I'm doing well. Well, first, I've got to tell you, whether it be Mark Benioff at Salesforce or Mark Zuckerberg at at Facebook, now, Meta, they are telling me that you are doing things that are quite different from the old Verizon. So let's hear about the technology Verizon (laughs) that would make us feel like we get a great yield and we've got some growth here. No, we, I think we had a great investor day today. We talked about the platform we have built the last three to four years. With all the changes we have done, we divested Verizon Media Group. We bought the C-band spectrum. We acquired TrackPhone, which is a value, uh, value customer in the, in, for a premium customer segment. So we have done quite a lot uh, the last couple of years. And we stand there right now with more growth opportunities than we ever had before. So, of course, we have built a network for many, many different things, a multi-purpose network, as we say. All right. Well, we're all very excited about Metaverse. And I went to uh, I went went to Facebook today to get something from Mark. And they're talking about how this is just the beginning. But it seems like you've had more of an inkling of what it's going to look like than anybody else. Will everybody be excited about the Metaverse or is this just something for kids to play? No, I think that this is very important. First of all, uh, we built the network for immersive experience and high capacity, low latency. We did that from the beginning. So, of course, we didn't even think about that metaverse would exist today when we started to build the network in 2017 when I joined. But now it's obvious that that is is sort of a perfect match between whatever you do in metaverse, etc. And we're just starting in that area with the metaverse and with meta that we announced today, the partnership with them. And actually, that's not even in, in my numbers for the future because it's so early. But right. clearly, we have built a network that is so different than anybody else in the market. That's why we talk to meta, and that's why they choose to work with us. Now, 5G coverage, you are going to have 175 million people at the end of the year. Now, the T-Mobile people tell me that they have uh, far more than you. And that I should not get too excited about your coverage when I start thinking about the coverage that T-Mobile has. What do you say? Uh, you, just, you just need to remember that uh, we, in 28 uh, consecutive times, our network has been the best. We always, uh, and that's the J.D. Power, we always build a network with the best performance that really what customers need. We are now going to 175 million. We're basically pulling in one more year to cover with the C-band that we bought one year ago. So we are really excited about it, but we have different business cases on it. We have the mobility case, we have the fixed wireless case, and we have the mobile edge compute case. So we have several business opportunities on the same infrastructure as well. So we feel really good about the transformation we have done, Jimmy. And you and I talked about this, how we get to growth stock. And this is what is really enabling us. The things we have done the last couple of years is not putting us in this position. And that's what we committed to today. Or we gave our long-term uh, sort of long-range mm-hmm. uh, guidance, which is 4% growth on our service revenue. Now, let's talk about the network as a service. That and Metaverse really caught my eye. Uh, network as a service, obviously, we love companies that are software as a service. How are you going to play a role? 
oh, the good thing for, with our network of service, that is a strategy we have had for a long time. And what it means is actually that we have a net, one network that has multiple cases and we can do the connectivity and above the connectivity. And then, of course, we partner. I mean, think about everything we do on the content side. We do on the mobile edge compute to work with AWS, Microsoft, Google Cloud. We have built a model where we find value together with partners instead of us investing in that area. And then we use the network of service as offering to our customers. So I think we have created something very unique and very different that cannot be replicated by the others. Now, I know JP Morgan put out a note uh, after our last interview, frankly, where they downgraded your stock. Their chief concern was competition for postpaid subscribers. Uh, increasingly concerned about the subscriber growth outlook. Now, that... And, that, how does that factor in? Because we get some of these very interesting technologies. But if we've got people who are still saying, listen, they're worried about signups. Don't we, aren't we just being reverting to what has what hamstrung Verizon, which is this one metric that's all people care about? Oh, you're spot on. <laughs> yes, that's what we try to explain today. We are five vectors of growth uh, in the mobility case. We have sort of the upgrades. We have a lot of things we can do with our base, and that's how we see we're growing. We're also adding new features like the Play Plus that we will talk about probably later, where we use our network to do distribution. So there are many more places to actually grow than only net ads. Net ads, of course, is a piece of it, but clearly we have growth paths way beyond that. And we also go into fixed wireless access nationwide with our 5G network, totally new market for us. We also bought TrackPhone, as we discussed uh, last time, which is uh, a value player uh, mm-hmm. in the value segment that we can grow. And so, so we have many different vectors to grow. And that is what is putting this all together for us. And with the confidence we have right now and the assets we have, we feel really good where we are. All right. Well, last thing, you know, a major competitors, ATT, uh, cut their dividend, which was something that I, I found dividends pretty sacrosanct when it comes to the phone companies. All these growth initiatives, they won't crimp the idea that your board might think it's still okay to boost the dividend from here. Yeah, I think that we have a very clear uh, capital allocation priority. Number one, we invest in a business. We have done that for a couple of years. As we outlined today, we're now going on reducing the capital intensity in our business. We're right. actually going down to, uh, to below 12% capital intensity. At the same, and the second uh, priority is, of course, uh, continue to grow the dividend for our shareholders. And that's something that me and my CFO always put in place for our board so they can do it. And then after that, we pay down our debt, and then we come to the repurchase of shares. And uh, today we talked about that as well, that we will now start considering to do repurchasing earlier than we had said before. So we feel really good about the optionality we're creating with our balance sheet and right. how we can serve our shareholders and how we can continue to well, grow. That's, that's Music to my ears because I've got a constituency that says, please get more, more yield. They need more income. And a constituency says, give us more growth. Sounds like you're satisfying everybody. Hans Vesberg, Chairman and CEO of Verizon. Always great to see you, sir. Thank you. Great, Jim. Yep. Thank you. What can I say is Verizon, it works, okay? Maybe that's all you have to say. It works. May have money's back after the break. Coming up. Both nature and man have done a number on business as usual. Kramer hunts a stock safe enough for the good times and the bad. Next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. Yesterday, Fed Chief Jay Powell handed us this day of execution when he went before Congress and said that the Fed would be measured in its efforts to stamp out inflation rather than hitting us with a series of autopilot rate hikes, which would be even more disastrous for gross stocks than than what you saw today. But make no mistake, we are far from out of the woods. Don't get me wrong. I say that as someone who has a positive bias here. I want to be constructive. It's just that many areas of this market remain incredibly treacherous. As I said at the top of the show, just take a look at two darlings. Octas, that's down 8%. The stock of Snowflake, down 15% just today. At this point in the business cycle, it's very difficult to own growth stocks to trade at sky-high price-to-sales multiples. That's why I've been warning you away from them since November. Remember when I told the club you want to buy things, companies that make things and sell them for a profit? Uh, Fed hasn't even begun to tighten yet. It, it could take a while before they find a bottom. It's why I do like the stock of Verizon. They make things, they charge for it, they return some capital, give you a little growth, a little income. And it's why I think I have to break, break out my old hedge fund playbook to see what else can be considered. What else is becoming top of mind? Stock that I wouldn't normally be thinking about. See, when inflation is rampant and the Fed's about to raise interest rates, you want to circle the wagons around some safety stocks, the kind of companies that can do just fine, even if our central bank hits the brakes too hard and we get a recession. There's just one problem. Many of the traditional safety stocks have struggled here. They've some have been disasters. The food, some of the food and consumer packaged goods plays because they've been burdened by ever-rising raw costs, so I've been reluctant to recommend them to you. If you want safety right now, you need to be very selective. You want something that can cope with rising oil costs by passing them on to the consumer because they have scale and superior brands that can command higher prices. There are very few of these. In short, you have to own the best breed. You need Procter & Gamble. Now, this market can be so vicious that even even this one's a little tricky. I mean, after reaching an all-time high in January at 165 and change, well, the stock has pulled back along with everything else over the past six weeks. Now, I think that's actually a good thing, though. If you buy Procter here at $155, I think maybe you could argue you're getting an unjustified discount. Why am I so confident? Because Procter & Gamble is the safest of the safety stocks. Traditionally, we treat all the consumer packaged goods stocks as safe havens when we're going into a slowdown because people are always going to need toothpaste, right? They're going to still let it wash their hair, they need shampoo, toilet paper, right? All these things. Unfortunately, the inflation situation means that many of these companies are far more vulnerable than usual because they're getting hit by rising raw costs left and right. Raw ingredients like whiteners, surfactants that cost more, paper box, plastic bottles, the freight, they're all going higher. Not all the competitors in this industry can cope, which is why I've told you to stay away from them. So we do have to redefine safety. It's not enough for your sales to be recession-resistant. You also have to have your earnings to be inflation-resistant. Now, many companies in this industry, they just fail the second test. Clorox, Kimberly-Clark, uh, Kimberly Colgate-Palmolive. You know, Clorox has been obliterated. That stock's down more than 16% year-to-date. That's not supposed to happen. They did report a hideous quarter about a month ago. Colgate had a lackluster fourth quarter. and stock's down 10%. Meanwhile, Kimberly-Clark had a perfectly fine quarter. But then it gave you a dismal full-year earnings forecast thanks to raw costs. Poof, down 10%. 
But Procter & Gamble's different. Unlike so many of its peers, Procter's actual pricing power, something they've earned over time by investing heavily in innovation to make its products superior, and in advertising to make sure everybody knows its products are superior. As a result, when Procter reported its most recent quarter, the company generated a stunning 6% organic sales growth, half of that coming from higher volume and half coming from higher price, which they got away with because people like the products. The price increases stuck across all five of their main business segments. That said, again... You know, they're not totally inflation-proof. Procter's gross margins declined by 400 basis points in the most recent quarter, but their operating margins only declined by 250 basis points, and that's thanks to higher productivity. At a presentation at the Big Annual Consumer Analyst Group of New York conference last week, that's Cagney. I didn't cover it that much this year, frankly, because there's not a lot of good stocks there. Procter's CFO was pretty candid about the cost headwinds they're up against this year. However, he was also very confident about the company's ability to pass on those costs uh, by raising prices, something few companies can do. Remember, it's not like any of this is new. They've been dealing with high inflation for a while now, and they've been coping much better than their competitors. And that's why I believe that Procter & Gamble is the best of the group. Of course, that's not the only reason why you might want to think about about it. It's a high-quality company, a lot going for it. Starters, Procter & Gale are very generous with its shareholders. Remember, in a tough market, you want to be able to fall back on something tangible, dividends, buybacks. This company is what we call a genuine dividend aristocrat, meaning they've raised their payout every year for at least 25 years. In Procter's case, they've done it every year since S&P Global began tracking this information back in 1962. All right, right now it's got a 2.25% yield, although I expect them to raise the payout again next month because April's when they typically do it. They should be got a 10% boost. That's a lot. At the same time, Procter, voracious buyer of its own shares. They repurchased $4.8 billion worth of their own stock in the last quarter alone. Management says they plan to retire $9 to $10 billion worth in their 2022 fiscal year. Second, obviously, this company is a fortress balance sheet. At the end of last year, the company had just $24 billion in net debt. I know that sounds like a lot, but it's nothing compared to its $370 billion market capitalization. And they're on track to generate $21.2 billion in earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization this fiscal year, which ends in June. Put it all together, and you can understand why Procter & Gamble's credit rating is only a shade below that of the United States. Third, I like Procter's geographic mix. The company gets a little less than half of its sales from the U.S., 22% coming from Europe, 9 from uh, Asia-Pacific, and the rest coming from emerging markets like China, which is 10%, Latin America, 6%, India, Middle East, Africa, 6%. In short, Procter has the potential upside from these faster-growing emerging markets, but they're not too exposed to any particular region, which means no one in the country's instability or high inflation can really hurt them. China was flat last quarter because of the draconian COVID restrictions. That didn't stop the overall company from generating 6% organic revenue growth. By the way, they're really taking it to their competitors. I remember when Unilever used to, used to really own the these uh, emerging markets. No, now it's Procter. Finally, right now you're getting a stock at a nice discount, down more than 10 bucks from its highs in late January. I think Procter's been weighed down by the competitors. Weakness at Clorox and Colgate, because stocks in the same sector, as we know, like I said at the top of the show, they trade together, even when it doesn't make sense. There's also no relief on the inflation front yet, even as I think Procter can contain the damage. And of course, everything got tossed out in the initial run-up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. At these levels, Procter's trading at 26 times this year's earnings estimates. Now, I know that's high, but it is down slightly from its historical average and not much higher than where it was trading in 2019 before the pandemic hit. Makes sense that it would be wouldn't be particularly cheap given that true safety stocks deserve to trade at a premium here after what we've seen with the gross stocks being obliterated. Bottom line, I've been telling you to stick with the market uh, even in the face of some frightening developments over the past few weeks. But you need some cash and you need some conservative stocks. This is one of them. That means circling the wagons around a kind of a Procter & Gamble stock. And Procter is the safest of the safeties. Mark in California. Mark. 
Hey, Jim. Hey, I was doing due diligence, uh, as you've uh, trained me to do on uh, one of my favorite stocks, which is Ulta Beauty. Um, recently, um, Target announced blowout earnings, and, you know, as part of that, Ulta has been putting mini stores into Target. I was wondering what your thoughts are on uh, their earnings coming out next week. Well, you are doing your work. I can tell that. And the Ulta deal, I, I know it's early on, but Target likes it very much. They said a lot of good things. You know, I think Ulta manages terrific. They got a lot of great Estee Lauder products in. They're in a lot of different areas all over the country with plenty of room to grow. I like the case for Ulta. Steve in California. Steve. How you doing, Jim? And thank you for taking the call. Um, Quite welcome. My question. My question is on Kraft Heinz. In the current uh, rising interest rate environment we're having, they have a yield of four, four plus percent. Are they going to be able to continue to pay dividends? Uh you know, I've got to tell you, I have been, I never thought I'd say this, but in the last two quarters, I've come around to the idea that you can own Kraft Heinz. Now, when I say that, it's been a company that did slash and burn and didn't do anything that what I call growth. But now it's got some growth. I think you're fine with that one. I can't believe I said that, but y'all are. All right, I've been telling you, you got to, this is a tough market, but I want you in it. I don't want you to run from it. Uh, but I say that you have to have some conservative stocks. I've been saying that for the uh, the committee that we have. That's the club for the, the uh, Monday morning meeting. Uh, and when I look at this proctor, I'm thinking, wow, this may be another one to own. It, it, it's safer than most. All right, much more money, including my Swiss with Block. With fintech stocks all under pressure, is now the time to circle back to Block? Remember, that's the old square. I'm checking in with company CFO. Then amid a host of sanctions, how much pain can Putin take? I'm using history as my guide to help make sense of the war in Ukraine, and it's not that good, frankly. And all your calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. How far can the formerly great growth stocks fall before they find a bottom? That's what this market's all about now. Look at Block, the financial technology artist formerly known as Square. Last summer, this was a $289 stock. Now it's a $114 stock. And that's after rebounding more than 30 points from its lows last week. Last Thursday, Block reported a surprisingly good quarter. Better than expected sales. Up nearly 30%. Four cent earnings beat up a 23% basis. Thanks in large part to its cash app payments division, which is just on fire. Since then, the stock has done well, although it cooled off quite a bit today, down 8%. But as I've told you, Everything that was growth got crushed today. So what the heck do we do with Block now? First, I think it's a good idea to ignore the wild price action. I think we, we take a look at the story from a fresh perspective. So let's dig deeper with Amrita Huja. She is the CFO of Block, knows it really well, is the person who speaks about the company, get a better sense of what's going on. Ms. Huja, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. If, since I've seen you, Amrita, the company has changed. Not radically, because I know that I ask all the time about different square divisions, but enough to be able to make it so it should be called block. So perhaps you can tell our audience why that change is necessary, because there's so many cool things happening. Jim, we rebranded to Block because we are a multidimensional company. We're no longer just Square, the business that serves small and increasingly larger businesses. We are also now Cash App, and we have emerging initiatives in the crypto space and with Tidal where we could see explosive future growth. We've found it twice over already between Square and Cash App. 
we're going to invest in a disciplined way, but we're already seeing continued growth. When you think about the fourth quarter, we grew 47% year over year. And in 2021, we're at the scale of more than two times we were at in 2019 on both gross profit and profitability. And it's because we're operating in a multi-dimensional and diversified way. With Square, we have six products with $100 million or more in gross profit. And with Cash App now, we have four products with $200 million or more in gross profit. Clearly, we are serving multiple customer needs in a multidimensional way, and that's what this rebrand was about. Well, one of the things I like about you guys, you are customer-centric. For instance, both my kids use Cash App. That's how I first heard about it. And uh, I just know that they're fascinated by the stock market. There's a lot of stocks that sell for $1,000, $2,000. They're mystifying. Suddenly, you come up with a fractional peer-to-peer product for stocks. That's what people want. How's that doing? Um, It's doing well, Jim. Our investing product overall is a great way for people to learn about Cash App, come in, explore the feature, and also learn about other ways that they can build their network within Cash App. When we think about the growth in Cash App, there's really two key drivers here. One is the network effects that bring people into Cash App. We had 44 million monthly transacting actives, up 22% year over year in December. We were the number four overall downloaded app in the U.S. iOS App Store in 2021. I think our peer-to-peer features around equities and Bitcoin is a piece of that. We were the number one downloaded financial app in all of 2021. And uh, and then the, the product features. Our roadmap is growing. And if you just look at the last six months, we not only launched the peer-to-peer feature you're talking about where you can send a friend a piece of a stock or a piece of Bitcoin, we also launched our teens offering where we can now include the 20 million U.S. uh, teens who are the spenders of the future. We launched a taxes offering where you can get free um, tax preparation and get your uh, tax refund five days earlier. And we launched Cash App Pay, which is a way to spend the funds that you have in your Cash App account, which is part of what makes that investing feature all the more attractive because your money moves seamlessly for you, whether you're investing, you're spending, or you're putting it to work in some other way. And so so it's really that product roadmap that's driving that engagement. How about Afterpay as a feature? How's that doing? And do you have worries that if times get tough, that people might not want to fully pay. Some people are actually joking around about, about buy now, pay later. I mean, buy now, pay never. How do you, how, is it going well? And how do you assure that people get people pay back? Yeah, no, we're extremely excited about the prospects with Afterpay, Jim. We just closed a transaction a month ago. And on day one, we launched a product integration with our Square Online with more product integrations to come. We know that our sellers are asking for buy now, pay later. They want access to the tens of millions of millennial and Gen Z consumers who are looking outside of the traditional financial system for credit. And we know that with the integration of Cash App's 44 million monthly transacting actives, Afterpay's 19 million annual actives that we have valid quality consumers to send to these merchants. And so we're super excited about the integration. What I will say about losses is that the team has actually been incredibly deliberate in managing consumer losses as an input rather than an output to growth. And as a result, in the second half of last year, consumer losses were only up eight basis points versus the first half. That's even as new products are launching and uh, there's an increasing mix shift to new geographies, which are less mature. 
but they've been very deliberate. 98% of consumer installments were in, repaid by the end that's, of the year, which is the good. same percentage that we saw in the first half. This that's is impressive. a key focus area for us. Right, one last question. Are you In your terrific uh, quarterly report, you do talk about how in uh, fourth quarter 2020, uh, you uh, invested $50 million in Bitcoin. Uh, and then you put even more in Bitcoin in, in the fourth quarter of uh, last year, 170 million. Uh, is this just to satisfy what customers want? I mean, or is that because you're a CFO? Or you're not gambling on Bitcoin. No, I mean, Jim, this comes from a very principled um, uh, direction, which is that we believe the Internet needs a currency. And we believe Bitcoin is the most likely contender to be that currency of the Internet because it's resilient, because it's uh, based on an open source developer platform because it's secure and because it's transparent. And so we are incented along with the treasury investments that we made previously, but more importantly, through the product investments that we're making to make it an inclusive uh, platform in the Bitcoin ecosystem and to invest to lower the barriers to entry. All right. Well, look, I like how customer centric you are. I like the fact that the cash app just keeps growing. And I like the new name. Because there's too many things happening for it just to be called Square. Uh, Amrita Hoosier, CFO of Block, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Man Money be back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. Before we start the lightning round, I want to highlight a very exciting event we have coming up tomorrow. The CBC Investing Club is hosting the third monthly meeting. We're covering every name in the Chapel Trust, going over our latest initiation and talking to Devon Energy CEO Rick Moncrief, man of the hour, to get his view of the volatility in the oil patch. Club members can join the event tomorrow. 1230 Eastern. And if you're not a member, please be sure to go to CNBC.com slash join the club ahead of the event so you can get access to the live stream. And now, and now it is time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skiing. Let's start with Clint in Virginia. Clint. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Whoa. Yeah. First. I'm a longtime Philly fan, and I'm loving the Embiid and Harden two-man game along with Matt. I know. I caught last night's game while I was working on the club talk. What's going on? Hey, my question is, what are your thoughts on the 3D printing industry and specifically desktop metal? No, we don't need to do that. We had HP Inc. on earlier this week, and they are going to own the 3D industry and make money. So you need to be an HP Inc. Simple HPQ. Let's go to Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, my good man friend. My lightning round stock today is good for the gander, Canada Goose. Ah, uh, Dave, you know, it still sells at too high a multiple. And I wanted to point out that it's inconsistent earnings is not for you and not for me, Dave. We're going to go elsewhere. We need to go to Kate in Georgia. Kate. Hi, Kramer. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Chill is in the house. What's up? Well, I um. This is a company I like, and they have organic fertilizer and renewable fuels. Um, it's Darling Ingredients, uh, ticker DAR. What I like think? it. I, Brian Sullivan introduced me to this company a long time ago. 
It reminds me of renewable uh, energy, that company just got a Reggie that just got a bid from Chevron. I think you stick with it. I like that call. Let's go to Ryan in Connecticut. Ryan. Jimmy Till, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, you know, taking a little heat as usual. How about you? Good to hear. Good to hear. I just, um, just wanted to ask you about Tilray, ticker T-L-R-Y. No, no. We like that industrial properties uh, way to be able to play it, a picks and shovels way. Tilray, I, you know, the pot industry is a very, very tough industry. Not unlike gambling, so I'm not there. Other than for the, uh, if you look at our piece that we did yesterday on higher yielders, you'll find it. Mike in Pennsylvania, Mike. Hey, Jim, first time caller. Okay. More in decor. I'm in at 37 and at 40, and I bought some more in the dip at 9. Well, uh, I, you know, poor decor, uh, you know, this to me is a, frankly, I'm just going to call it this, a poor man's lows. I'd rather see in lows. I know Ford Accord went by one in Florida. We intend to go to one this weekend, but I will tell you that Lowe's had a great quarter. Let's go to Bill in Pennsylvania. Bill! Hey, Dan, first time, long time. Like my this. Question, my, my question today is of the stock six VVV Valvoline. It's boring. They make things, they do stuff. Automotive lubricants work for me. I'm going to throw in another that I'm doing some work on. I'm going back looking at Magellan Midstream. Not pulling the trigger yet, but boy, I like these. Uh, I'm liking the MLPs again. Sorry. Ken in Georgia. Ken. Jimmy, booyah from beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. How are you? I am doing well. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, Jimmy, you're making me a lot of money. I'll tell you, about a year and a half ago, you had the CEO of Dow Chemical on, and you said it was a steal. It was a buy. I bought it about 28 that's doubled. I'm loving it. Yes. Well, Jim Finnerly bought the. He said he was buying. Remember, he was buying millions of dollars worth of stock and said he had to come on and tell people he was right. Finnerly's money. How can I help? Well, I want to know. I'm looking at another one now. So I'm a, I'm a dividend chaser. I, I want a company similar to like what the Dow, Dow is. And I'm looking at a Rio Tinto because. Oh, you know, I like Rio, Rio Tinto here. I like Rio Tinto because it's minerals. Remember, there's a bull market in minerals, and I embrace it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. The free world is tightening the screws on the Kremlin. But if Putin's war drags on, there will be network effects to watch out for in your portfolio. Kramer breaks it down next. How much pain can Putin take? Oh, he's thrown a mountain of financial sanctions at Russia. We've caused his bonds to be downgraded to junk. They can't get their stock market open. Their bank accounts in foreign countries are frozen, including even in Switzerland, which is a heck of a lot more than they did against the Nazis. We're even taking away the oligarchs' yachts. Sadly, though, I think that Putin can take unlimited pain. Here in America, we know from painful experience that a quagmire can always last longer than you expect if you underestimate the enemy. But America is a free society with a free press. Russia is a closed society with a government-controlled press. You can go to prison for criticizing the state. It doesn't matter if the Russian people have the will to win. It only matters if Putin has the will to keep fighting. And like many aging dictators, he's coming unhinged. I think Putin wants to relive the Great Patriotic War, Russia's name for World War II. That's why he keeps talking about how Ukraine needs denazification. Of course, that's insane. Ukraine has a Jewish president who lost three uncles in the Holocaust, for heaven's sake. But in Putin's head, 
I, I think he believes uh, he's thinking about how the Russians triumphed against all odds in World War II and how the Russians held out for 900 days during the siege of Leningrad, endured incredible hardship without a flinch, although by the end they had to resort to cannibalism when they fell short of food. It's that Leningrad mentality that makes me wonder if the war could get a lot uglier. Remember, Putin thought nothing of raising Grozny. That was the capital of Chechnya when, when it won its independence. It was called the most destroyed city in the world by the U.N., What kind of sanctions would actually bring them down? The West would have to cooperate with China to say no to almost all of Russia's oil production, 11 million barrels daily. To get there, we'd have to strike a deal with Iran to let them do business with the world again. That's 4 million barrels. But it would take a miracle to get both China and Iran on board, both of which are in good terms with Russia, bad terms with us. If President Biden were engaged with our oil companies, he might be able to cajole another 2 million barrels per day out of them, which might, would alleviate much of the pressure on oil prices. Honestly, he should do that regardless. We need to find out from Rick Moncrief. He's the CEO of Devon Energy. If it's even possible, when we speak to him tomorrow on the Investing Club call at 1230, and it is going to be actionable. After all, Rick was the first of now many oil men who, and, and women who restricted production to maximize profits. In the end, while we're united in the West, we do not have the horses to stop this madman with sanctions that merely cut into his assets of his rich friends. The ruble can crater in a close society. That's no big deal. There's some question whether he can feed his soldiers. Napoleon said an army travels on its belly, and the rainy season has started a little too soon, making muddy roads a real nightmare for logistics and supplies. But Putin has big guns and missiles and planes and tanks, and the Ukrainians just have grit for now. My bet is that if he's delusional enough to invade Ukraine in the belief that his troops will be greeted as liberators, then he's delusional enough to, to believe he's winning. As I see it, the only way to stop this war is with a well-timed palace coup by Putin's generals. And that seems increasingly unlikely. It's a grim prospect and one that will put a lid on stocks because of oil and bank linkage worries, along with shortages of some pretty important commodities, steel, aluminum, industrial gases, all of which will be used by the bears to spread fears of industrial and tech shortfalls while we have a lot of inflation. So you need to be prepared for more pain, at least until my sad prophecy becomes the conventional wisdom. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.